This morning, on something that most preachers won't preach about, you don't want me to preach about, and I really don't want to preach about it. I want to read four verses of Scripture to begin with, and you can try to follow along, or you can jot down the Scriptures. And by the time I've read these Scriptures, you'll know exactly what the subject is. Psalm 16 and verse number 10 Psalm 16, verse 10 says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Now we turn to the New Testament, Luke chapter 16 and verse number 23. This is a story familiar, I think, to everyone here, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And verse 23 says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28. The Lord says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 2 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 4. 2 Peter 2 verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. I don't think I was stretching things a bit whenever I said this is a subject that uh, most preachers won't preach about today. We hear almost nothing about it. It's a subject that you'd really rather not hear about and a subject that I'd really rather not even have to preach about. But then I'm reminded that Jesus preached about hell more than anyone else. Not only that, but Jesus preached about hell more than He preached about heaven. There are 264 chapters in the 27 books of the New Testament, and 234 times the Lord speaks about judgment and a place of punishment. 234 times. Now you imagine going down the highway... 27 miles, and during the course of that 27 miles, you see 234 warning signs that says, Stop, dead in, rode out, turn around, go back. Well, by the time you got down there to mile marker 26, I think I would be really looking around and starting to, starting to think about what those signs had been saying, don't you? And God has given us all of these warning signs in regards to the matter of hell. I would fail in my calling, and I would do you a terrible injustice if I just ignored this subject. We've been singing a lot this morning about heaven. It would be real easy to preach about heaven. You know, we think about the inheritance that we have and the blessings that God provides for us through Christ, and I can't think of anything better to talk about than, than heaven. And yet the fact of the matter is, this is a subject that we dare not neglect. Now, 
No doubt you've heard people express their doubts about the subject of hell. There are those that will tell you that hell is just a, well, a state of mind. Uh, or there are those that would say, well, you know, hell is what we go through here on this earth. But let me assure you, both ideas are wrong. Hell is a real place. The question is, where is hell? Where is hell? I want you to really listen this morning. Some of you, the last time I preached this, you hadn't even been born yet. And I want you to really listen because there's a lot of confusion about this issue. And to answer that question as to where is hell, we have to understand what we mean when we speak about hell. The reason I read four different scriptures is because, as you realize, one of those scriptures came from the Old Testament. It was written in Hebrew. The others came from the New Testament, and they were written in the Greek language, translated into the English language. But in every case, the word hell in all four of those sections are different words. They're always translated hell in the English language, but as you know, one was Hebrew, one is the others are in the Greek, but they're different Greek words. So if we're going to understand where is hell, it all depends on what you're talking about. And we need to know what the Bible says. Now, look, this doesn't mean that we have to be Hebrew scholars or Greek scholars in order to understand the Bible. You know, a lot of people get really offended if you refer to the Greek language or the Hebrew language in trying to explain a verse of Scripture. Why would that upset you when you have to understand the English language if you're going to understand the English Bible? I mean, you have to understand what it's saying. And all anybody has to do is get a, a strong concordance, which you ought to have in your library anyway, helps you to find every verse in the Bible that tells you where the different words are found, tells you the meaning of those different words, and automatically you can find out what words talking about what. Now, when we look at the first word that I mentioned in Psalms, this is the Old Testament word for hell. It's the word sheol. And it comes from the Old Testament, Old Testament thought of, of even used in one sense of the grave. It's translated hell 31 times, grave 31 times, pit three times. And by looking at the context, you can tell what it's talking about. It's speaking about the place of the departed dead. It is the abode of the soul, not the body. Because in the Old Testament, the place of the body comes from a word that is keber or something to that effect. I, you know, I have a hard enough time trying to pronounce English words, but let alone whenever you get over the Hebrew and the Greek, why, you know, I'm, I'm totally lost when it comes to some of those words. But the word keber is the word that had to do with the grave where you put the body. But the word sheo is the Hebrew word that, that was the place of the departed dead, where their soul went. And you can distinguish between the two because sheo was never used in the plural it speaks about one place, and Keber, the grave, is often used in a plural sense. The, the graves, in other words. One, it's never said that a person had a Sheol, but, but it's often said that he has a grave. 
And so I think everybody understands what we're talking about. There's a place that is prepared for those that have died. Now, we come to the New Testament, and there is the word Hades. That's the word that we read just a few minutes ago in the second instance from the book of Luke. It's the word Hades. It is exactly the same, has the, exactly the same meaning as the word Sheo in the Hebrew language from the Old Testament. So they mean the same thing. It is the place of the departed dead, the soul of the departed dead. Whether they're saved, whether they're lost or whatever, this is where the soul of people went whenever they died. The abode of the dead, whether they're saved, whether they're lost. The story in Luke chapter 16 really helps us to understand that because it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It mentions the fact that both of them died. It mentions the fact that the rich man was in hell. And in hell, of course, he being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and was begging for just a drop of water on his tongue. And Abraham replied that he could not because there was a great gulf that was fixed. So here is a situation to where one is in a place of torment and the other one is in a place of comfort. And yet they're divided only by this great gulf. Acts chapter number 2 and verse 27 speaks about the fact that Jesus went to Hades when he died. Think about that. Let that sink in just a little while. That when he died, remember, whenever he died, he descended into the deepest part of the earth. I mean, we have no reason to doubt where this place is. And here we find that when the thief on the cross was hanging there and he cried out to the Lord, the Lord said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And where was he between his death and his resurrection? He descended into the heart of the earth in this place called Hades. But it was not in the place of torment. It was in a place that he described as paradise, a place of comfort. And the two were separated by a great gulf. Now, I know the wheels are turning. You're wondering why in the world would God do it like that? Well, you've got to realize because of the fact that although Christ has just died on the cross, the blood atonement has not been made there in heaven yet. And until the Lord ascended and went to heaven and assumed His rightful place, and the blood atonement had had full effect upon all of humanity, all of the people that had ever died up until this point, all even, I'm talking about all the believers now, they are all in this place called paradise. The Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, until Christ was resurrected and ascended back into heaven, this is the place where they were. It's a place described there in Luke chapter number 23 as Abraham's bosom. In Abraham's bosom. They're both in Hades, but one is suffering and the other is in comfort. Today, we know that something has happened because when Christ, whenever Christ was resurrected, it says He led captive captivity. He took those souls out of, out of paradise, 
ascended back into heaven and they with him whenever he was resurrected from the dead. Are you still with me now? So now the only ones left in this place called Hades in the heart of the earth are those that are unsaved because all of the saved are in heaven. And it says, Paul said to the Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So that tells us that there's no halfway house, no purgatory, there's no, you know, nowhere, no stop in between. Whenever you die as a believer, you go straight to be with the Lord. It's described by Paul as being the third heaven. And we know from what the Lord says in John chapter number 14, Jesus went where? To the Father's house. If He went to the Father's house, described as the third heaven, then to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in that same place. As a believer, if you die today, that's where you would go. That's why I said, when we try to answer the question, where is hell, we've got to understand what we're talking about because the location, the location is different now than it was back then. At least for the believer because of what Christ has done. It's hard to imagine, you know, people have, scientists and what have you have tried to, tried to discover the heart of the earth. You know, they think they've got it all figured out. They can drill down as deep as they can go and they can use all of their technological equipment and what have you trying to discern what is now. All they know is basically is it's hot. That, that, that's all they know. But just by reading the Bible, we know exactly what it's all about. That's where hell is. And and the Bible says, hell shall enlarge itself and they shall descend into it. Descend is to go down. They will descend and go down into it. So it's in the heart of the earth. But that covers only two of the words. The Hebrew word, Sheo and the Greek word Hades, which basically meant the same thing, at least up until Christ ascended back into heaven. The third scripture I mentioned is a different Greek word than the word Hades. It's the word Gehenna. It is a word that speaks about the final abode of those that are unsaved. It comes from a Hebrew word meaning the Valley of Hinnom. Now, keep in mind, this was located on the south side of Jerusalem. It has a long history because this was the place to where human sacrifices were made there. The people literally, the heathen literally, offered up their children, burnt their children and sacrificed to their gods. Later on, it became the garbage dump of Jerusalem. And you can imagine, you know, if an animal died, they just drug it down the street, throwed it out there in the dump, 
If a beggar died, no one claimed the body and buried the body. They just drug him out of the city, throw him out there in the dump. Cause you, so you can imagine this place where fire is burning day and night and the putrefying flesh and the worms. And you can imagine what a, what a horrible picture that must have been. And this is the word that describes that place. And it's the word that the Lord chose to use to describe the place where those that are unsaved will go. That's why he described hell as unquenchable fire. He described hell as that place where the worm dieth not. This is the place where eventually all unbelievers will be cast, both body and soul, into hell. Somebody said, well, you know, I, I just can't believe that. I, I believe that's just symbolic language. If it's symbolic language, then it would be worse than what it really is. Are you with me? Because symbolic language can never measure up to the reality of a thing. That's why so many times when Paul is speaking about the glories of heaven and what have you, he uses one superlative after another trying to describe what it is all about. And the fact is... We can only imagine. Because it's far better than what it is. And the same thing is true in regards to talking about hell. If all of this is just symbolic, then hell is even worse than what it actually is. The Lord described for us in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13, what's going to happen. He says here, that death, that is there used in reference to the grave, death, hell, that's the word Hades, shall be cast into the lake of fire, that's the word Gehenna. This is after the great white throne. The great white throne judgment is when all of the unsaved are brought before God for their final sentence. When they died without Christ, the Bible says they are condemned already. And they die without Christ and they go to Hades. That's where hell is now in the heart of the earth in Hades. But there's a change being made because just as we believers are resurrected, there is a resurrection of the unsaved dead in both body and soul. They will stand before God at the great white throne judgment and be cast into Gehenna. This place described as the garbage dump of Jerusalem. This place with unquenchable fire, where the worm dieth not. This horrible place of suffering day and night forever and ever and ever. Now, I have no idea where that final place is going to be. I can't give you a geographical location. I have no idea what corner of the universe it's going to be in. I just know that Hades in the heart of the earth is going to be dumped into this Gehenna and all of those that are therein. So, that's where hell for the unbeliever will be later on. That's looking down the road. But there's another word that I read from Second Peter chapter number 2, verse number 4. And it's the word Tartarus. And it's said to be, this is the only time, in fact, it's used in the Bible anywhere and they've, in trying to describe it, they've tried to describe it as the deepest abyss 
of Hades. Well, I don't know about that at all. All I know is from reading the context that this is the place where the fallen angels, certain fallen angels, a place that were, was reserved for them, a place where they were kept in chains and eternal torment. Maybe you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with me? But if you read verse 5 and verse number 6, Peter goes on to explain that if God spared not the angels that sinned, and if God spared not the world in Noah's day, think about that, that universal flood that wiped out everybody except those in the ark, and if if the Lord spared not Sodom and Gomorrah, then He's not going to spare you. And he describes what happens to those angels when he says they are reserved in change in ever, everlasting darkness. Punishment for all of eternity. People get confused because they think about God being a big hunk of love and that God couldn't possibly execute justice against someone. Not to that extent, surely. We think He ought to give us a slap on the wrist. The reason we don't understand it is because we don't understand the gravity of sin nor the glory of God. If we understood how awful sin is, if we understood how glorious God is in His holiness, we would understand that everything the Bible says about hell is well deserved on our part. The worst thing in this world is sin. Sin of any shape, sort, or size. Doesn't make any difference what it is. Sin is a violation of God's holiness. It's man ignoring God's righteous standard. And since God is a holy God, He must be a just God. And because He is a just God, then punishment must be executed upon those that violate that standard. I said all of that to say this. Instead of worrying about where hell is, you need to be more concerned about how awful hell is. Amen. Whether it's in the heart of the earth or some corner of the universe or wherever, it doesn't make any difference, folks. There is a place that has been prepared for the devil and the angels. By the way, if you go to hell, you're going to be there as an intruder. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. And the only reason that, that you would have to go there is because of your rejection of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible has a great deal to say about the subject of hell. It tells us it's a place of untold suffering. It's worse than a maimed body. That's why he says if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Better, you know, to have one hand than to have two and die and go to hell. That's not saying that cutting off your hand is going to get you into heaven. That's not the point. The point is trying to get us to see the severity of God's punishment upon sin. Hell is worse than a main body. It's worse than being burned alive. 
many years ago, Bev's grandpa really was more of a grandpa to me than I didn't really have a, you know, much knowledge of my grandpa's, but, but I knew him well, and he drove a gasoline truck, gasoline tanker truck going around and making deliveries. I rode on that with him, in fact, going from station to station, and one day, that thing he had a wreck, I think turned over, caught fire. For the rest of his life, he, he had those scars. And Bev had the experience of being there and seeing him in the hospital in that horrible condition. I've seen others. One of our deacons boys several years ago, I was preaching in Dallas, Texas, hadn't much more than got there. And all of a sudden they called and said something terrible has happened. David has been burned in a fire and got back there. And I'll never forget standing there in the hospital with him and his dad. And the flesh burned off of his body. He could barely speak. And I said, David, I love you. And he mumbled the best he could. I love you too. Died shortly after that. Let me tell you. When we talk about being burned in flames of fire, that's not something to laugh about, not something to ignore. Hell is worse than the worst wrath ever. A place of untold suffering, a place of ungodly associates. Somebody says, well, I, you know, I, I don't care if I go to hell, I'm going to have a lot of friends there. No, you won't have any friends in hell. There's nobody there that wants you there. Hell is God's penitentiary for lawbreakers. It's the insane asylum for those that are sin sick. It's the graveyard for those that are spiritually dead and the most wicked, vile, filthy, sinful perverts that have ever lived are going to be in hell. Right along with that so-called self-righteous bunch that, you know, that would never think about doing those things. The only thing bad they did was just reject Jesus Christ. Whether you're talking about Hitler or Mussolini or whoever it might be, you imagine the most vile, filthy person that you can even imagine in your mind, and you're going to be right there in the same devil's hell. Untold suffering, ungodly associates with unsatisfied desires. The rich man, when he died, was in being in torment. He cried out for just a drop of water on his tongue. Think about that. He's dead. He is in hell. But he still has a desire for water. In Revelation chapter number 22, it speaks about those that have died and it says, He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. In other words, and I've often said, sin has its own built-in punishment. And let me tell you, for all of eternity, there are going to be those denied the very things that they have craved the most. You imagine an alcoholic or someone addicted to drugs going through withdrawals for all of eternity. 
Look, that's beyond anything our mind can imagine or our tongue can describe. But we're talking about unsatisfied desires for every unbeliever. Unending separation. You know, we all like to think whenever our loved ones die that someday we'll see them again. The sad thing is you won't. You won't. The only place that you will see them is being a witness there at that great white throne judgment. And God will open up all of the books and He'll reveal to every unsaved person the opportunities they had to be saved and remind them again and again that they had rejected Him. And here we are in some way witnessing to this and those people that you love so dearly that you hope that someday you'll see again are going to be condemned to a devil's hell and you'll be separated from them forever and forever. Separated from them, but even worse than that. And the worst thing possible about hell is not the flames of fire. It's not the craving for some sin that we loved here on earth. The worst thing about it is being separated from God forever. Remember when Jesus, as He was there on the cross, and all of a sudden after three long hours, God pulled a canopy of darkness over the earth, and for the next three hours, there was darkness that covered the earth. And there... There at the end, Jesus spoke about, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, he wasn't confused one little bit. He knew exactly what was going on because he was the Son of God. He knows everything. The only reason he asked that question is to reveal that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that mentioned that he would be forsaken by God the Father. And in that that time lapse, where for the first time in all of eternity, God the Father refused to look upon God the Son. He turned his back upon him, and in that time... He suffered hell for every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever been born into this world. More than the spear in his side, more than the the whipping with the cat of nine tails, more than the nails driven into his flesh, more than all of those things. It was that separation from the Father. And Isaiah 53 says... The Father speaking, I will see the travail of His soul and be satisfied. In that sacrifice, Jesus Christ satisfied all of the demands of the law and made it possible for Him to be both just and the justifier of those that believe. You see, God couldn't just automatically pardon you because of His love for you. He wouldn't be a just God. But because of what Jesus did, God can be just and He can be the justifier of those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter where hell is. 
The important thing is whether or not you've made plans to miss it and to make heaven. The Lord paid the price. He paid the penalty. Without Him, you'll be forever separated from Him. With Him, you can be reconciled to God right here, right now, in the simple act of believing, putting your faith in Him, acknowledging that He is indeed the rightful Lord of your life. You know, it's one thing to want Christ to be like some sort of a some sort of a Santa Claus that's going to grant all of your desires and take you to heaven. It's another thing to acknowledge that He is Lord of your life. So the Bible says, if we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. He's both Lord and Savior, but only to those who actually trust Him. Just knowing about Him in your head is not going to be enough to get you into heaven. It's trusting Him with all of your heart to be who He claimed to be, to do what He promised He would do. And if you do that, He'll save you this morning. You will never have to worry about hell again, and judgment again, and suffering again. You can have that blessed assurance that we sing about. That Christ is your Savior and heaven is your home. All your sins have been forgiven and you're on your way to glory land. You can leave here today knowing that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Would you trust Him this morning? Let's all stand, those awaiting baptism. If you will, go ahead and make your way to the back of the auditorium there to my left. See? If you're here and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg you, don't put it off any longer. Don't put it off any longer. Don't delay. Trust Him right now. Father, I pray this morning that You will draw those that are unsaved with the power of Your Holy Spirit. God, sweep away every silly excuse that they have. Help them to see the gravity of the situation, the seriousness of their sin problem. And help them to see the great possibilities that Christ has made for them that they could be saved even here and now this morning. May they trust Him. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Now while we sing together, if you're here this morning you've never received Christ as your Savior, would you come right now and trust Him? Come on. <laughs>